Welcome to our Polaris podcast. I'm Jeremy Wipek, a partner of the Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, and we have on with us Jeff Powell. Jeff is our managing partner and chief investment officer. So Jeff, uh, looking forward to our conversation today. Oh, thank you. And so uh, we are seeing once again, a lot of talk about the jobs report and uh, various indicators of the economy. And every time this comes out, there's a lot of emphasis on it. It certainly has some impact on the market and how it moves. And so Jeff, if you could tell us why so much emphasis on things like the jobs report and these types of data points uh, that come out periodically. Well, I mean, the one thing that I'll, I'll throw out to you, Jeremy, out of out of all this stuff is is we don't live in a vacuum, so a lot of this stuff is is intertwined. So a lot of it has to do with how it impacts kind of everything else, and it, it's sort of a uh, a health check of the economy. So uh, today our numbers uh, came out that the uh, U.S. economy added 571,000 uh, people uh, to the workforce. Uh, that beat the expectation, which was 395,000. So there's more people working than I thought was working before. So number one, those are people that are not drawing off of an unemployment uh, circumstance. So it's uh, that's one element of it. But then it's also, if people are gainfully employed, they're going to spend money differently. And so the impact is how uh, they're able to spend. Assumably, they are making more working than they were when they were unemployed. Uh, so that means that the economy uh, most likely is going to be growing as a result of it as well. So it can have implications on inflation. It can have implications on GDP growth, uh, a number of different elements that uh, that really come into play. Um, and it's just evident to uh, the overall, like I said, health of, of the economy itself. And so, and Jeff, I know this is an area that you talked about when you uh, hosted the webinar um, in October. And you talked a lot about... Uh, where we're at versus where we were pre-pandemic and it sounds like uh, although we've made great strides to get back to where we were before we shut everything down with covid um, but that we still have some room to go can you talk a little bit about where are we in relation to where we were before and what would you like to see happen over the next 6 12 18 months to try to get us back to full steam yeah so there, there's actually two elements there jeremy that we really need to be looking at it's not only just straight up unemployment uh, numbers, uh, but it's really kind of ties in also with wage growth and participation levels. And so what I really mean by that is, you know, you can sit there and say, okay, we've got an unemployment level of X. Okay, that's great. That's uh, the percentage of people that are, you know, you know, truly out there looking for work. Uh, it doesn't mean the number of people that are available for work. It just means people that are trying to find work. And so Historically speaking, over the last 50 years, unemployment has been around 6.3%. We've had wage growth around 4%. And then, like I said, when you're looking at things like a participation level, those types of things, um, you know, if you're looking at it, it's it's changed as our dynamics have changed. Back in the 60s, the participation level in the, the mid to high 50s was normal. And then, you know, through the 70s and 80s, as we had more women join the workforce, the participation level went up into the uh, mid 60s. So if we're looking at it from that perspective right now, our most recent unemployment numbers, we're below average. So we spiked back in the midst of COVID at 14.8% at unemployment. We're now down to uh, right about 5%, it's slightly over. Our wage growth is actually above average. 
So again, you typically will see these being an inverted relationship. So if there's a lot of people out of work, those that are working aren't going to be able to sit there and uh, be able to kind of demand a higher price for their for their services, or uh, so they're not in a position of being able to negotiate. So if you think about it, if you were coming to me and saying, I want to raise, and I've got 10 other people waiting in line to take your job, you really don't have much of a leg to stand on versus you ask me for a raise and I'm having trouble filling open positions and I don't want to lose you, then you've got all the negotiation skills uh, that you need from that. So we've got a wage increase that's, uh, that's actually increasing by about 5% annually. And then when it comes to the actual participation levels, we have seen that drop you know, almost down to 50% in the midst of COVID, which was pretty crazy. So uh, in the late 90s, we had a participation level that was over 64%, uh, the highest since it was being tracked back in uh, 1950. Um, if you look at where we are now, it's uh, around 58, a little bit over 58%, so that's been coming back, but pre-COVID, we were at 61. So we have about 3% less people participating in the workforce uh, and we have open positions, a lot of them. And so this is part of the supply chain issue. This is part of the inflation uh, concerns that people are expressing. Uh, so again, going back to the importance of something like an unemployment number, it's a domino effect. You know, So how, how many people are working? How many people are, are eligible to be working? Are their wages increasing fast? And again, as you have unemployment levels dropping, wage increase typically goes up. So that's not out of the ordinary, but people are looking at that particular number with regard to a fear of inflation, uh, as well as the fact that when unemployment drops, again, there's more people spending money because they're, they're working. So all of these things kind of combined together is what we're looking for. What I'm hoping for is a participation level uh, that returns back to where we were uh, at an unemployment number that returns back to where we were uh, and I don't mind the wage growth, uh, but what I'm really concerned about uh, out of that number is if it remains high, um, then you are running risk of having a, a, a level of inflation that we may be uh, you know, needing to get a little bit more concerned about how to address. Yeah, Jeff, thank you for uh, laying the context, and that makes sense on why uh, it's such an important statistic. Now, with the wage growth, that's certainly an area that people have been uh, diving into deeper, and it makes sense with uh, with um, a lot of people not willing to go back into the workforce for various reasons and uh, a lot of job openings, why there might be some pressure. One of the terms that keeps getting uh, thrown around is what's called real wage growth, meaning uh, wage growth that uh, is able to keep pace with inflation. Can you talk about, I guess, more specifically, what is it that uh, economists are looking for when they talk about real wage growth and what is the concern or the fear that may happen with people's buying power, um, especially in the lower paying jobs with the inflationary numbers that are coming in at the levels that we've been seeing? So just like we talk about within the bond market, there's, uh, there's nominal and real returns. I mean, and so when you're talking about a wage growth, that's really a, a nominal figure. So you're talking about historically that wage growth has been at 4%. If you look, go back from, you know, the early 70s to present, the historical inflation rate is around three and a half. Uh, again, obviously that changes pretty dramatically when you chop out the late 70s, early 80s. But uh, what happens there? I mean, when you've got a, a high inflation rate, um, you know, are people making more money or not? So basically, what the, looking at the 
the real return, we've got uh, a wage increase right now that's at 4.9%. Our inflation rate's slightly over five. So even though people are out there making more money, those that are participating in, in the workforce, they're really not making progress because inflation has just wiped out or the, the, the cost of goods that they're buying has gone up by 5% to go along with their uh, wages. So in this case, you know, with a 5%, or let's just use that as a, a rough number uh, of a wage increase and a 5% uh, inflation rate, so you're just running on ice right now. You're not making any progress. It's just, you're slowly, you know, skidding around, but you're you're not really making anything in the way of progress with regard to it. Got it. And so with real wage increases, we're talking about actual wealth increases, not just keeping up with uh, the cost of goods increasing. And so the goal is that's always... Ex that's exactly right. Hmm. Gotcha. And so uh, you'd mentioned earlier, and I want to go back to this, that uh, because of the lack of labor and some of the increases, amongst other things, supply chains, so not having... Uh, enough workers to where you can keep pumping out the uh, the products that you need to and the quantities that are being uh, being demanded that that's leading to some of the inflationary pressures and this is where uh, you can start to quickly see all the stuff is very intertwined. Um, can you talk a little bit more about some of the supply chain issues that we're seeing and and how that's creating some of the inflationary pressures that we were just describing a moment ago? Yeah, well, I mean, if you're looking at uh, like the um... The issues that we've seen, you know, from a historical standpoint, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious. I mean, all you have to do is go to uh, Port of LA in order to get an understanding of what's going on from a, a labor shortage issue. Um, you don't have enough people that are uh, not only longshoremen, uh, but other dock workers to be able to, to actually unload ships. Once they unload them, how do they actually get the, the actual goods out of the harbor? We're, we don't have enough drivers right now in order to be able to handle that situation. Again, in order to get more people to work in those positions, you're going to have to increase their wages in order to attract more people to those kind of positions. Same thing that you're seeing right now uh, with things like uh, heat products. You know, We've got poultry prices that have doubled. You've got beef prices that have doubled in the midst of COVID. I mean, if you go back and just look at where poultry prices were uh, on a pre-COVID basis, you know, even going back a year ago, not even a year ago, you could you could still get something. You know, poultry was at five, but if you go pre-COVID, if you go back to I don't know 2018-ish, poultry prices were less than three dollars a pound. They're now at eight. So, how do you keep up with those kind of statistics if you're out there, uh, you know, just barely scraping by? So there's there's a bit of of you know getting disenfranchised. So uh, there there's not a shortage of cows, not a shortage of chickens or turkeys or you know, pigs or anything else along those lines. What we have is a shortage of people that are willing to work in those positions, which is then driving prices up. And it, it goes all the way down the line. So a you know, just as an idea to kind of give you a, a concept behind it, goods being shipped from China to the United States takes about two weeks to get from one place to the other. It's now taking almost two weeks to get through uh, the port of LA in order for those goods to be distributed. Shipping something cross country, what was taking a few days is now taking a few weeks because of the shortage of, of drivers. So everything is kind of being elongated and then you gotta think about the actual con con uh, concept and cost of what impact that has on our economy. And so when you're looking at something like just somebody as simple as being 
the processor of food or driver of goods. And I'm not trying to undermine what they're doing. They're obviously very important, you know, cogs in the overall uh, economy. But when those cogs go missing, uh, the engine doesn't work. And so that's really what we're dealing with is having bottlenecks and added cost that are, you know, just being hit all the way across the line uh, between the manufacturer and the end user of a particular good. Got it. So, and and that makes a lot of sense, and certainly uh, helps explain why there's so much attention being uh, applied in this area with relation to how uh, the economy is shaping up and some of the uh, the potential long-term risks that we face with everything that's uh, taking place. And then, Jeff, if you could talk a little bit then about what the impact is potentially to company uh, companies' earnings, their profit levels. And so obviously, uh, with these rising costs, means that it has the potential to erode. Uh, profit margins, which then decrease earnings and have a negative impact on the market. Is that what we've been seeing? Or I guess, let me ask differently, what has been the lay of the land with regard to a company's ability to pass along these increases? Well, the the simple answer is that we've seen record earnings. So this kind of flies in the face of, of, uh, of your concern point, which is that you know, presumably uh, there is an issue with companies being able to to push the additional costs that they're incurring onto uh, the end user. Um, that's kind of running right back into the major question, major concern points of inflation. So when you have a company that's not able to pass on those additional costs, then what you typically have is a, a lower profit margin. Uh, a lower profit margin means less earnings. Less earnings normally means you're, you're, you've disappointed and then you kind of get beaten up as a particular company uh, if you're missing your earnings. So we haven't seen it. We're, we're you know, right now we're expecting 27% year over year growth in, in earnings, uh, which is pretty remarkable because we would have three straight quarters of, of 20 plus percent year over year increases. And the expectation going into next year is actually very strong too. So it's definitely one of those items that you uh, have to understand the impact of that. So if you've got strong earnings in an inflationary environment with a supply chain issue, it means that those costs are being put onto the end user, which means that their spending habits are being impacted. So in, in dealing with that, the, the kind of interesting thing there again is, okay, well, you know, if you're talking about a company that produces, I don't know, poultry or whatever it happens to be, and, you know, their labor costs go up, because of supply chain issues and so on, uh, they've got two choices. They either pass that price on to you as the end consumer or they eat it themselves. So if you're saying that the poultry company is still making uh, as much money, if not more money, and it's actually beating the earnings expectations, guess what they've done? They've passed that cost on to you. And if you're making money in a level that, yeah, you've gotten your, your wage increase and so on, when you go to the store, it's costing you the 5% more than it was to, uh, the, on the raise you just got, then you've made no progress whatsoever. So that's what inflation is all about. That's the undercurrent, the underbelly. The concern point is really how these things have an impact on the bottom line of, of what we're dealing with. So right now we're not seeing it from a market perspective, but it is something that's sitting out there uh, that's impacting the everyday you know, American. And what we'll see with regard to their, their income levels and, and their spending habits going forward. The, the one and only other thing I would also add to this 
landmines after landmines after landmines. I mean, there are a lot of things uh, during an earnings season, which is what we've what we're running into right now, is you know, those companies that are making their numbers and then, oh, by the way, uh, giving strong guidance uh, of the future are doing fine. You know, you're seeing big increases. We had several companies. Uh, well, we've, we've got a lot of companies reporting uh, this week. I, I forgot the exact percentage, but it's a, a huge amount that are reporting this week. And obviously, our you know personal holdings, we've got a lot of companies that are reporting this week. There are landmines out there. And when you have a less understanding of what's going on, uh, a less predictable than the likelihood of being able to accurately gauge what's going on within the market becomes way tougher. And so uncertainty is something that really is a driving factor within the markets and can be you know, something that scares people away. So it, it's just, I guess the biggest part of, of this is just, you gotta take a deep breath. You gotta realize that they're gonna be good and there's gonna be bad and there's gonna be ugly out there. And um, you know, sometimes the, even the good is not being treated as if it's good if they're not out there pounding the table saying, we are clairvoyant, we know exactly what's gonna be going on in the future in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. And that's just obviously not a, a realistic thing, but what we're seeing is that companies that don't provide that kind of guidance are being beaten up unnecessarily by the street. Yeah, um, and uh, that's been interesting to watch how that shapes up. And to go back to an earlier point, I wanted to just point out, I think one of the remarkable things with all of this is that even as companies have either reduced the sizes of their packaging to try to offset some of the inflation or just directly passed on the uh, the increases, the demand has not diminished. In fact, uh, one of the big reports that I know have been talked about for this holiday season is the fact that demand is at record levels and yet we have these supply constraints. And so from an investment standpoint, uh, that's exactly what I wanna see is that demand is really high and so it, it would suggest that they'll be able to pass along these increases, I mean, relatively easily um, because they don't have a demand issue. Well, I, I think what I'm hearing uh, in your messaging, Jeremy, is to uh, to get your Christmas gift now. Is that what you're kind of trying to tell me is you're, you're inciting that I should be getting your gifts? Because I mean, you should already it's, have it's already it's already it's already been purchased man it's already been purchased but uh, all jokes aside they are really talking about you know the fact that you should and you're seeing it across really um you know something as simple as you know stuffed animals you know when you've got the cost of the actual shipping itself having gone up 1300 percent you know it becomes a a situation where the cost may far exceed and, and uh, impact the demand if it's being passed on or the fact that the, the end manufacturer is not going to be able to make money on it. Either way, it's not a great thing. Um, you know, ironically, in, in, in a kind of a weird way, even though we're seeing some of these inflationary things, we've not seen a spike in things like the, the, the dollar, for example. I mean, that's, you'd expect that if you were dealing with an inflationary environment that the dollar uh, would be getting beaten up. But on the contrary, the dollar is actually uh, at its highest levels. And way more than a year, and we've also seen gold go the other direction. Uh, so you would, again, expect something where uh, you'd see gold prices uh, actually on a rise, and we really haven't seen that. I mean, it's uh, it's down from the beginning of the year. It's been trading sideways since you know, July, August, uh, and you would expect really, if we were, if people were really that fearful uh, of these types of things going on, that you would you would expect them to uh, really, you know, see a, a spike in gold prices just from the 
uh, the fact that it is a commodity that some people believe is a good hedge. Now, we've written extensively about the fact that historically speaking that gold has not been a terrific hedge, uh, but other commodities can be. And we have seen a spike in commodity prices, but we just haven't seen that offset with gold. So strange times that we're kind of juggling uh, and dealing with you know, how to, uh, to look at the overall market. And I think that really the big takeaway there is the fact that A, everybody else is doing the same thing. So there might be an underlying uh, inflation environment. It's being you know, seen on a global level, not just a US level. And then from there, we're evidently not doing it as badly as a lot of other places because, again, if you look at how the dollar has traded against a basket of, of other foreign currencies, we're actually doing well. Our dollar has strengthened, which, again, if you're looking at it in that context, if our currency is more expensive, we can buy more goods with ours you know, of the things that we're importing, but it does make our exports more expensive. So it is double-edged uh, uh, in that element. So... And I would say the other thing that's really driving it, Jeremy, and not to ramble on here, but uh, the fact that the Fed is meeting right now, the fact that they are talking uh, about making an announcement of the tapering of the bond purchasing, again, fancy way of saying they're going to start cutting back the number of bonds that they're buying on a monthly basis until they get down to zero. So the, uh, the, the government going out and buying bonds, it's a stimulus to our economy. And I know that we've talked about it before, but it's at least worth kind of repeating, which is that when you have a demand that's really kind of a, a made-up demand. So as there are more buyers of a good uh, than sellers, prices go up. If prices go up on a bond, the yields come down. And obviously, you know, lending rates are based upon uh, treasury rates. And so what you're looking at here is if you suppress yield to keep it down, it makes borrowing easier, which means that the cost to carry is low. Cost of carry is low, it means you can spend your, or you can either borrow more and leverage, or you borrow the same amount that you were going to uh, normally, and it just costs you less. So you got the ability to spend money in a different way. So that talk of them starting to cut back is also going to remove a little bit of the steam from the engine, but it, they're going to do it in a way that, uh, that at least I feel uh, will be kind of a soft landing to to the tapering. Yeah, that um, yeah, that makes sense. And so, Jeff, and with all of this, uh, I, I think uh, the main takeaway is that it's a lot more complicated than what you'll sometimes hear in your little snippets on the news or the 30-second the sound bites that often uh, occupy the, uh, the media space. And it can lead to a lot of false conclusions. As you mentioned, um, there are some things that <clears throat> perhaps aren't uh, as strong or are rearing their head a little bit uh, str uh, I guess stronger than what we'd hoped for, like the inflationary pressure. But there's also the flip side of that, which is that companies have been able to uh, pass along. We still have levels of demand that are off the charts. In fact, we have a demand, or we have a supply issue, not a demand issue at the moment. Meaning we can't just uh, we can't keep up. And so, just a good reminder that uh, to really make smart decisions with all this, you have to dig beyond what's. Uh, presented on the surface and really get a good understanding of what's really happening and more importantly how all these pieces are interconnected and how they're influencing one another so that we can get a more complete picture of uh, of what is driving the investment results, what's driving the market and ultimately where the market's likely to be headed. So with that, Jeff, always uh, really appreciate your time and expertise and the uh, conversation that you've had with me today. Oh, it's been my pleasure.
So and to all of our listeners, thank you so much for your time and attention. I uh, appreciate uh, you uh, listening to us um, on this topic. And as always, be happy, be safe, and be healthy. Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Polaris Wealth does not offer professional, legal, or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.